Welcome back to the Bear Market Brief Podcast. I'm your host, Aaron. So for all of Vladimir Putin's power, one of the most persistent misconceptions about him, and indeed governance in Russia, is that he's individually controlling everything that happens in the country. Back when I was writing the brief, one of the ways I would explain governance in Putin's Russia was with an analogy to Lord of the Rings, that Putin's gaze is a bit like the Eye of Sauron. Now, not to make a value judgment or to compare Russia to Mordor, but Putin has a very intense focus. What he's looking at gets done, but his focus is also narrow. So how does the rest of his agenda get accomplished? Enter one Mikhail Mishustin. Now that name doesn't come up a lot in the Western press, but he's Russia's prime minister and could well be the second most important man in the country. So who is Mishustin? What is his agenda? And what does his role tell us about governance in Russia on a broader level? Joining us for this episode is Dr. Fabian Burkhardt. Fabian is a researcher with the Political Science Junior Research Group at the Leibniz Institute for East and Southeast European Studies. He had a lot to share, so stay tuned. Fabian, great to have you with us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. So uh, jumping straight into it, could you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, research focus, what what keeps you busy these days? Um, currently, I'm a postdoctoral research fellow at the Leibniz Institute for East and Southeast European Studies in Regensburg, Germany. And um, uh, well, I'm also an editor of Russian Analysen, which is uh, the sister publica- publication of uh, the Russian Analytical Digest. Some readers might know it or Ponar's policy papers. So the, the main idea is basically to transfer academic knowledge to a broader audience. And in terms of research, I'm currently starting a new research project on digital transformation and authoritarian regimes with a focus on the post-Soviet space. Uh, But my previous research was very much focused on executive and presidential politics um, uh, in Russia. So I defended my PhD uh, at the University of Bremen in 2018, specifically on the Russian presidency, where I looked at basically how the power of the Russian presidency has been expanding over the years uh, under Yeltsin, but mainly under Putin, looking at more uh, formal types of power, such as laws or decrees, um, and basically asking what kind of role these kind of formal institutions uh, play in in a kind of personalist authoritarian regimes uh, like uh, Russia and I was also a part of the dissertation was also dealt with uh, the presidential administration. I think it's one of the few works that actually looks systematically at how the Russian presidential administration works and whether it actually institutionalized over the years. And I used a lot of um, archival material, biographical data, interviews with uh, chiefs of staff, uh, formerly actually, and uh, former officials. Um, and so the idea was basically to to look at what I call the paradox of of governance. Basically, I, I, we saw some some a certain degree of institutionalization in the presidential administration, but this did not really increase coherence or governance. So there's a huge problem, obviously, with implementing actually presidential decisions directives. So uh, if you look at the archival data I actually have, so there was uh, about only 50% of actually presidential directives were actually implemented, in fact. So that seems to be one of the paradoxes of having a very strong president uh, or who actually has problems with actually having own decisions implemented by by other actors, be it in the federal government or in the regions. And after the the, the PhD, I went on to for a postdoc position uh, to Moscow at the HSE, 
um, high school economics and I basically worked on, on two pro projects that are still kind of work in progress, but I was interested in kind of in this weak implementation of presidential decisions. So I looked specifically at the 2012 May decrees. So I, I actually was interested why is it actually difficult, so difficult to measure um, how they are in, implemented. And uh, I also went to, to Tatarstan actually to inquire regional officials how they actually deal with these kind of orders. And so that really uh, was fairly interesting for me to understand, like how these regional officials deal with these presidential decrees that are actually more or less forced upon them and uh, actually create a, a number of goals that sometimes even might contradict their own goals. So that was one of the the, the projects. And the other one, which uh, give, um, brings us straight to, to Mishustin. Um, so it's actually we, with a colleague from Potsdam University, we looked at structural changes within Russian ministries, federal ministries. And so one interesting finding that uh, that I found intriguing was that actually departments and ministries um, change much more often and quickly than actually departments that deal with policy implementation. So it's uh, basically administration. So the, the basically those that ad, uh, administer the, the, the federal and manage the, the, the ministries, they change more often. And our interpretation, that is actually a lot of patronage and rent-seeking going on in these management uh, units. And that uh, is fairly interesting when you look at one of Mishustin's ideas actually to limit the, the staff size of these departments and ministries and agencies that actually only service the executive bodies but do not actually have a policy function. So the idea of Mishustin is actually to limit it to, to 30%. And uh, that kind of uh, got me intrigued in what, what really Mishustin is all about. So hearing that biography, I mean, there's content in there for, I'm sure, several, if not uh, a great number of uh, Bear Market Brief podcast episodes. So all of that's really interesting. But yes, today we are focusing on Mikhail Mishustin, who, just for uh, clarity, uh, is the prime minister of Russia. I was thinking earlier, and we don't have to answer this today, but as an important exercise, given the limitations of Putin's power, and it's one of the things we talk about a lot on this podcast, that contrary to popular understanding, Putin isn't personally pulling every lever of state in the country and personally managing a lot of his own initiatives. So looking at Mishustin, who may or may not be the, the second most powerful person in Russia as far as the agenda goes, wanted to talk all about him today. Whether or not he's second or third or fourth most powerful, he is in a very critical role at a critical juncture uh, for Putin and governance in Russia. So let's start at the very top level. Who is Mikhail Mishustin? Where did he come from? Any noteworthy biographical facts about him? Yes. I mean, it's. Um, I think it's definitely an, an interesting uh, person. And um, obviously, I can't sort of uh, tell you all the, the, the whole biography. I mean, I recommend profiles that have been written by the Financial Times or Medusa. So, but a few flashpoints, basically. And I mean, there's um, he has a background, even academic background in IT and information systems. And in the early 1990s, he was um, involved in the what is called sort of the International Computer Club. So he's basically dealing with procurement of foreign computer technology and delivering it to, to Russian state structures. Um, and 
actually since uh, 1998 he was in civil state service uh, in the tax authority but he also dealt with um, uh, real estate um, and also shortly very briefly with uh, special economic zones and uh, what i think is interesting to mention that is uh, that he briefly also worked under gamma Griff from 2004 until 2007 and uh, after sort of a short stint uh, in private business um, he went on to head the federal tax service of russia in 2010 until 2020 when he was in, in january when he was appointed prime minister so i think there's quite a bit of interesting stuff in his biography so one of the common themes well i think there are three points i think that that might be worth mentioning when you look at his biography so the the federal tax service it has once uh, sort of been described as a as a chicken that is laying uh, golden eggs so that seems to be uh, described to describe actually his philosophy um, the tax service under under Mishustin quite well so it's it's really about mobilizing reserves so he kind of boasted that he improved tax collection um, in compared to the general growth of the, the economy or that the, the, the amount of taxes that have been collected per tax audit. So that seems to be really the, the major issue, like um, mobilizing of reserves that have not been tapped uh, before by. And that's the, the, the other point, sort of uh, um, managing, unifying and um, streamlining state databases and information system. That seems really one of his... Um, core interests and core competences and kind of the centralization of data and integration of, of um, data bases that that's really what what I think his his interest is all about and the, the third part I think is all about kind of automization so making things uh, more efficient by automizing it but that's kind of also very illustrative of his technocratic and very apolitical and, and even paternalistic approach so, so the idea is basically, you have technology and that really makes uh, citizen deliberation, but also the, the decisions of bureaucrats uh, at some point unnecessary. So basically technology will, will uh, automatically decide for you what what actually uh, has to be done in, in specific situations. So that's, uh, I think, the, one of the, the guiding philosophies behind what, what he seems to be all, all about. Very technocratic background. I think that's um, worth noting. And I imagine we'll be touching on that more but you were saying something yeah i mean i think going slightly beyond his his person i i think there are quite a number of general questions we usually think about when when we uh, when we talk about russian politics so so basically there are a number of issues so what one could actually ask what what's actually being a technocrat in, in putin's russia what, what what does it actually mean so can putin's russia actually still produce kind of competent or qualified personnel and i think when you look at Mishustin, it doesn't really seem to be mutually exclusive, exclusive to have both more, a more or less competent uh, official, but uh, who's also purely or highly loyal to, to Putin or basically to, to the Putin system as, as such. So this um, seems to be that he doesn't really have his own agenda. He's totally loyal to what basically com comes from, from the president. Um, but he kind of combines this with being more or less competent in his, in his own sphere. But he also plays in, in this kind of usual game that the Russian elite plays. So it's, he doesn't see, really seem to be um, aligned with a specific elite group. But, I mean, he, he plays in Putin's night hockey league. 
Um, he's in ZSK advisory board and he seems to be in the kind of uh, involved in the monastery. So in this orthodox, um, even brotherhood, as some call it, with uh, several elite actors. So it seems to be uh, seems to go in hand uh, hand in hand being like a competent more or less in in one sphere actor and basically being loyalty and being involved in in this usual elite activities we actually uh, see and the, the the other part is so how does this actually square being competent and and engaging in rent seeking so we we seem to assume that kind of the russian elite actors they they most of them or all of them are kind of more or less involved in rent seeking and that also does not really seem to be a that much of a contradiction so he seems to have like a, a wealthy a fairly wealthy background real estate in rublovka like more or less a family business in his wife and and uh, sister, etc., and there seems to have been rent seeking going on also in the in the federal tax uh, service, where state contracts were basically given to politically collected firms. Also, a fairly common topic. So that also seems uh, to to go hand in hand. The other thing I I think is what is fairly interesting to to consider is actually how. Um, useful actually distinction between uh, basically the Siloviki, so people from the power ministries or forest agencies uh, and civilian bureaucrat, how far this distinction actually still uh, makes sense. And and, and Mishustin here, I think, is, is an interesting example because, I mean, he, it seems fairly obvious that he is actually a civilian bureaucrat. Uh, dealing with uh, socioeconomic policymaking. So he doesn't really have weapons or a uniform or law enforcement capacities. But if uh, we think that, uh, if we consider that this, he deals basically with uh, data, with data management, with uh, data centralization, how central sort of this uh, data is for elite management, for dealing with uh, businesses or even with the population at large in terms of surveillance, etc. So um, he seems to be squaring both. So it actually he uh, has competences and actually uh, qualities that would also qualify for Sylvie Key. So and by hearsay, actually people actually argue that he's quite popular among the FSB and that seems to be uh, mostly also due to, to the fact that um, uh, with his approach to actually managing uh, data, which is so central. And the, the last thing, actually, what I find interesting is usually when we think back to, to uh, Medvedev, so we kind of when someone engages in more or less in, in change or actually engaging in some kind of what we think might be modernization or some kind of reform so we tend to to equal this in 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 kind of a with a pro-western stance so but in terms of Mishustin, actually it's it's quite fairly ironic if you think back about his uh, past in the um, basically in the uh, when he was procuring western computer technology to russia but right now he seems to be very supportive of of import substitution of uh, the offshoreization, basically the automatic data exchange with uh, foreign countries, including tax havens, or making Russian companies, so to speak, uh, pay taxes in Russia, or the the, the, the Google tax uh, pay make basically foreign tech companies pay taxes in Russia. So that 
seems to be also this kind of new public manager that combines at least a drive to actually um, make some change um, in how the Russian state is managed while being totally loyal to, to Putin and um, kind of uh, trying actually to, to engage in this uh, import substitution of uh, <laughs> Uh, Western technology and basically in increasing uh, Russian sovereignty to, uh, in this respect. So you mentioned Medvedev, Dima, as we affectionately know him uh, on the Bear Market Brief podcast and in briefs going back a few years now. On one hand, I want to avoid making all of this a comparison between Mishustin and his predecessor. And having said that, we're now going to spend most of the rest of this episode talking about how Mishustin differs from Medvedev. So thinking back on the Medvedev years, which I think would be characterized by kind of two key things, um, goofy missteps, I think is a, uh, is one critical one, his, you know, famous comment, hang in there, wish you a good mood. But the other thing is, if you had to really distill what Medvedev was about as prime minister, especially, well, I guess, in his presidency, innovatia, innovation, that's his, his thing. What is Mishustin's thing? Does he have a thing? What What is he trying to accomplish? How does he fit into the the implementation of Putin's agenda? What What is he all about? Yeah, I think that's that's a great question. I, and I'm not sure we have like this uh, space for for talking about how he actually Mishustin um, compares to Medvedev. But I mean, there's certainly quite a bit to say about uh, Mishustin's ag uh, agenda and whether he actually has. Uh, his own agenda and uh, what is fairly interesting is when he um, was in the state duma in, in january 2020 when he was basically um, uh, approved by the state duma he actually said that basically the program of the russian government is uh, the presidential address to the federal assembly made the the, the famous sort of paslani um, so actually arguing putin's program is is my program and um, uh, the the other a remark he made at this uh, Duma session was that the national projects um, needs, need to be enhanced and need to kind of be accelerated. And um, so I think uh, taking these two remarks at, at the very beginning of his uh, at his uh, prime pr premiership, so to speak, I think these are telling in terms of what we have seen in the last um, year as, as such. And there are quite a number of um, priorities one uh, one might mention and I think uh, there are actually four of them that, that have been crucial over over the, the last one year one and a half year maybe and um, I think the first is how basically the, the state council as such is managed as a as a, as a major venue where the, the the national projects and the, basically the the national goals are are managed. And the second one is that it's not really mentioned that often, but I think it's fairly crucial also with regard to to the national goals is um, what is called the, the unified plan for the achievement of the national goals, which, which is kind of a central uh, strategic plan of the federal government until 2030. Uh, 30, and sort of the, the, the third priority is basically creating a, a data-driven governance for, for Russia. And there are several sort of facets uh, to it. And uh, the fourth is uh, the, the um, administrative reform that 
Mishustin has been um, pushing forward in the in the last months and even the last half year, one one can say. And I think these are really the core core parts. We'll be right back after this short break. BNB Russia is meant for anyone who wants to understand what is going on in the world of politics and economics in one of the world's key emerging markets, or perhaps just wants to peek into the broader post-Soviet space. We're a team dedicated to making Russia and Eurasia more accessible, both to rising area experts and specialists, but also to those who don't know what Kvass is, have no strong opinions about Dill, and don't have any feelings about Moscow's macroeconomic policies. We're here to keep you ahead of the curve and spot what most in English language media aren't talking about. The BNB Russia project is led by FBI fellow and BNB editor in chief Stephanie Petrella, while our latest edition, BNB Ukraine, is led by FBI associate scholar Eilish Hart. To receive the latest on Russia and Ukraine news, be sure to sign up for BNB Russia at www.fpri.org/subscribe. And now back to the discussion. So if I might jump in, tell us more about the state council and what that body functions to do. Yeah, well, I think um, it's the state council as such is um, fairly interesting because in, at, at the very beginning of last year's constitutional reform, many have actually argued that the state council as such is uh, about managing Putin's uh, future. But when you actually look at what we have seen under Mishustin in, in the last year, so I think a lot of this is actually really about um, managing the basically the national development goals, not only the national projects, but, but basically the, the national goals that have been passed in uh, July by a presidential decree by, by Putin. So it's really about improving uh, the coordination between the federal center, the, the federal government, and, and the regions. So one might actually uh, argue that that the state council as such is uh, especially the representation of the governor governors therein uh, is kind of a second government for for uh, the governors where they actually coordinate among themselves and can actually um, engage in some kind of collective action with regard to the federal government and the presidential administration. Um, so the, that was actually the sort of the the main idea be, behind kind of this rebooting of the of the state council that actually tied in with uh, this uh, presidential decree from July 2020 on the national goals, which are actually broken down then in, in five goals: uh, demography and health, human capital, um, housing and living, environment, economy, and digital economy. So basically, the the task of the Mishustin government was. Um, actually to redefine uh, targets and the performance measurement of these targets, basically in comparison to the so-called May decrees from 2012, which also contained a lot of the, the policy domains that are actually mentioned in this July 2020 degree, and actually to change sort of the, the public management of how they, they are implemented and how performance uh, of this goal attainment, so to speak, how this is measured. And the basically the the key part of this is actually is the 
integration of the of the state council and the, the management of, of the achievement of these national goals uh, with uh, the the unified plan for the achievement of these national goals so it's basically the main difference to the to the national projects and and the made greens before is actually that it's um, right now it's uh, sort of the the time horizon is extended until 2030 but there's more sort of budget spending actually tied to the achievement of of these national uh, development goals so actually people argue that it's more than sort of 70% outside of the national defense budget is actually tied to the implementation of these and um in, in compared to much less uh, around 20% that it was previously allocated of actually achieving these these national goals and Michusen has been kind of busy in um, sort of uh, streamlining the these um, the national projects and various state programs regional strategic documents such as ministerial performance indicators to kind of more or less or at least attempt to make a coherent strategic program which is this unified plan and uh, sort of um, integrate this in in budget planning in the in the three year uh, budget sort of uh, cycle and basically the the idea is to, to to create actually teams among and with deputy prime ministers responsible uh, for the implementation of these various national goals and actually coordinating in this work and actually to to overcome policy deadlocks that that have ha happened far too too often in in the past with the with the implementation of these of these national um, development goals and one of the um, kind of um, key parts is that is actually that there will be a sort of an annual review process uh, of these targets and the allocated funds. So I think the idea is to make it slightly more flexible than the the national projects before and in the, and the May decrees. And that actually necessitates, and that's actually the connection to the state council that necessitates this more or less complex management structure, uh, which is sort of between the, the, the state council, um, the council for strategic management, um, and eventually the, the, the government's coordination council. And now bringing in sort of the, the expertise of Mishustin in digital governance, like how he has uh, transformed the, the federal tax service before. So I think sort of the, the main idea is to, to um, transform or actually improve, or that's actually his, his ambition, whether it will be realized, that's it's difficult to, to say actually, basically to, to improve the implementation by a sort of a data-driven government. So to have a digital information systems where you have more, more sort of objective data, real-time data even, rather than subjective assessments sort of by bureaucrats that actually insert uh, their data into the system. And that makes it very hard to, to, to the federal uh, executives to actually monitor and actually check in how far the the quality or actually the quantity of uh, of implementation actually corresponds to the to the goals that actually need to be um, need to be um, achieved. And I mean, there's been quite a bit of talk about the the coordination council in the in the government. So that's a, sort of a basically a, a troubleshooter within the government. That kind of the intention of this is actually to, to actually gather all this information and introduce some kind of incident management if something uh, goes wrong. But the main challenge, uh, and here it's really 
difficult to to see where this is going and there's obviously there's a lot of skepticism is due because of the the many databases that actually exist uh, within the Russian federal executive so the the challenge actually would be for Mishustin to to integrate these various databases that exist in in various um, executive bodies in in the federal executive bodies in in the regions actually to integrate them and so, so i mean there's been quite a bit of talk about sort of this as data as the new oil in Russia, but so far it's uh, it's probably fair to say that it's more or less dirty oil. So the, the data that's, that's uh, in the system is not that well integrated, and uh, that's one of the main challenge actually in how f or the, the questions how the Russian government will have to be judged upon is actually in how far it's um, sort of achieves to integrate these various databases and actually improve the the quality of the data that is in there and um, in terms of managing the the pandemic in Russia it's it's been fairly interesting to see how the e-government service uh, of the of the federal government Gosuslugi uh, in how um, how it has expanded in terms of users so it has reached um, 126 million users actually by the end of 2020 and has increased by 24 million uh, only in the in the course of 2020 and that is obviously because um quite a number of actually social benefits that have been paid out to to um families with kids for example have been implemented via via Gosuslugi so uh, previously, uh, the first round of kind of payments were, has been done by via uh, via applications, so families had had to apply actually for social benefits. But the philosophy, and I think that speaks a lot to how Mishustin thinks about how the state should be managed. So it's, the philosophy actually should be that, and uh, it, uh, these payments should be made automatically, so without actually application. So once the the government actually decides that. Uh, a certain uh, payment should be made to a specific group of the population then this based on the kind of the, the databases or the integ the integrated databases that the government creates they ideally should be kind of handed out uh, in in, a, in an automatic fashion and that's uh, actually what we have seen in the in the last year that actually Michusen has tried to to achieve this in in, in various um, and to 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 certain degrees, um, one of this it's it's obviously it's it's a fairly risky endeavor for citizens as, as such. There's a bit of talk about sort of the digital citizen profile, which would allow obviously the government to actually have uh, a, a bunch of uh, information on on the on on its citizens. But so far, the use of the government uh, has been fairly limited. But obviously, idea is to have to accumulate as much data as possible about about citizens, integrate this knowledge, and then uh, when we speak about uh, basically e-government services, to to automate this process and limit sort of the the contact between citizens and the government as as much as possible. If I might jump in to yeah, the sure. to the big picture here in our last couple minutes, let's talk to broadly. What what does Mishustin? I can see kind of the general theme here. It's not broad, far-reaching structural reform. It's making the system as it exists work better. So what what is Mishustin's appointment, his agenda? What does that tell us about governance in Russia? What does it tell us about maybe what Putin is trying to accomplish? And let's see if we can fit this into a couple of minutes. This could be an episode in its own right. But uh, 
what what is your read on on kind of the the broader the broader meaning here? Yeah, I think it's a it's a great and obviously difficult question. I mean, last year there's we have been looking, or analysts have have been looking sort of at also about the constitutional reform, what what that was all about. Obviously about doing away with uh, term limits of of Putin, but there's been paid much less attention sort of about the the administrative reform or actually administrative administrative tweaks that Mishustin has uh, engaged with. Um, so the big question is actually why why sort of the Medvedev government had to step down at the same time sort of when this constitutional re- reform was actually started. And I think these two things like constitutional reform and Mishustin's, uh, Mishustin's administrative tweaks, they have to be uh, considered um, simultaneously. So uh, the question would be: So what was the basically what does constitutional reform mainly about? It obviously it's about the circumvention of of term limits, so allowing Putin to run again for president in 2024 if he decides to do so. So in, in, broadly speaking, it's about lengthening the time horizons of not only Putin, but also of the regime uh, itself. So it, it very much ties in with this idea of this unified plan, having this this plan until 2013 of how to, of the national goals and as such. So this goes in hand in hand, sort of lengthening the time horizons. But we also know from, from the literature, kind of more the comparative literature, that this kind of regime personalization, so tying a regime to one person, uh, has quite a number of uh, risks, and we know that um, kind of pr- these kind of personless regimes it, they are associated with uh, more r- repression, with more repressive behavior, and we actually have we've seen this in in the last months and and and, and years that we know that kind of bad governance uh, is exacerbated uh, because of over centralization, because of information asymmetries, because of lacking feedback mechanisms. One knows that actually foreign policy tends to be more aggressive, bringing more risks actually to the regime in terms of maybe sanctions or other kinds of risks. And it's also more risky for the autocrat uh, himself because of the likelihood of actually of irregular removal increases. So while the time horizons are actually lengthened, um, the, the the risks are also much higher for not only for the regime, but also for Putin himself. So uh, to, to summarize what it seems that Mishustin's agenda is all about. It seems to be it's all about counterbalancing these risks of basically of the, of this regime personalization. So it's about long-term planning horizons, kind of creating this strategic outlook until 2013. And here, I think it doesn't really matter that much in in, in terms of how far of this is actually implemented or not. So it's already fairly clear if you look back at the history of the Medicrees 2012 or at the national projects that quite a bit of it is actually unlikely to be implemented but i mean if we look at the at the broad picture uh, i think the overall direction is fairly important so it, it doesn't really matter if the sort of the putin transit in 2024 or before is about putin from putin to putin or from putin to someone else but it seems to be that this kind of administrative uh, reform, if you want to call it, or tweak uh, that Mishustin is engaging about parallels, kind of the constitutional reform, and it provides the brackets uh, for this turbulent and uh, it's very likely to be very uncertain and turbulent period. 
Um, so it's kind of a way of adapt adapting to these uh, changing external circumstances and it's kind of a mechanism to stabilize the situation, uh, the, the risky situation and kind of provide some mechanisms for lead coordination in a longer time horizon. So I think that's what for me the Mishusin agenda seems, seems to be about. And on that note, Fabian, thank you so much for joining us today. This is a great conversation. Uh, certainly left me more aware of uh, Mishustin's agenda. And I think the bigger picture, buying Putin time, stabilizing the, uh, not the ship of state, but the, uh, the aircraft of state uh, is important and really does tell us a lot. So thank you again. Thanks again to Fabian for joining and thanks to you for joining as well. Be sure to follow BMB Russia and Eurasia at the Twitter handle at Bear Market Brief and stay tuned for episodes to come. BMB Russia and Eurasia and the Bear Market Brief podcast are a product of the Foreign Policy Research Institute. That's FPRI, a nonpartisan think tank based in Philadelphia. For more information on this initiative and others, be sure to visit fpri.org. We'll catch you next time.